All right, for those of you that are new or you're visiting here, my name is Ray Yoder. I'm one of the associate pastors. For those of you that are not new here, uh, you're in shock because this is happening, yes, twice in a row. (laughs) And it's all good. Don't worry. Next week, Pastor Ray will be back. Things will be safe again. And yes, at some point, Chris will finish that message series that he started. I don't even remember when. Uh, but we, we will get back to it. He's still working on the end times course, and many of you are in that, so that's good news as well. Well, right at the end of last weekend's message, uh, a couple of my friends, Ken and Sarah Harder, who have been at our church for a long, 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 long time, uh, they, were, they were actually in the worship ministry before I came and started uh, here 12 years ago. And so they came up to me after the service, and they said, you know, Really appreciated your message. Would have loved to have heard it 10 years ago when we needed to have boundaries with you. (laughs) And I thought, oh, that's appropriate. (laughs) I I remember, I mean, when I came on staff here, I was in my early 20s. I was young, immature, and I just, like, wanted to get all the spots filled. And Ken and Sarah would always say yes. It was awesome. So... I need someone on keys, I'm just going to call Sarah. She's going to say yes. I need someone on projection, I'm just going to call Ken, because he's going to say yes. And so that's how it worked. Bad form on my part, bad boundaries on their part, because they were effectively training me to just always keep coming back to them. So they were, uh, they were uh, facilitating my irresponsibility. Now, to their credit, uh, eventually they were actually, they had a conversation with my wife, And she said, you know, you can just say no to him, to which I was bothered. (laughs) So all of a sudden now I'm going to have a whole lot more work. But uh, so that that was actually an enlightening and empowering moment for them. They actually began to start saying no to me. And uh, that was good because that was, they were responsible for their growing feelings of resentment that was on their yard. And really... I was the one that was responsible for filling the spots in the ministry. That was on my yard. So they started having some good boundaries with me. And what actually happened as a result of that is they saved the relationship, right? Because it would have been easy for them after a period of time of just getting burnt out to just stop serving altogether, just sit in the chairs for the rest of their time in church to have conversations about the leadership and just... To, to park it there, right? They could have done that. But because they chose to say no, they actually saved the relationship. They can come and chat with me, and the relationship is good. There's no tension at all because they saved it by saying no. And that's really why we're talking about boundaries. That's the point and the purpose is because we want to have healthy relationships. We want to have healthy relationships within our marriages, within our families, within the body of Christ here at the church as well. So just a quick recap. A boundary is knowing what we are responsible for and what we are not responsible for. Knowing where we end and where someone else begins. All right? Uh, We use the analogy of our yard, right? I know that, I, I know where to start and stop mowing my lawn, and I feel no guilt for not mowing my neighbor's lawns. Now, I, I assume that would be similar for you. If you do have guilt about not mowing your neighbor's lawn, move next door to me. Because <laughs> I'm totally happy to use your guilt. That's, that's all good. <laughs> but that's, that's what a boundary is, okay? So 
What we want to do today is just get intensely practical with the application of boundaries. All right, so that's where, where we're going to head. Specifically, we're going to spend uh, the vast majority of our time dealing on the parenting and marriage side. So let's pray and let's get started. Lord God, we thank you for relationships. Thank you for the church. Thank you for our marriages and our families. Thank you that you've placed a smack in the middle of a ton of relationships and you desire to work with us and on us and through us in those relationships. So I pray that you would speak to us as we go through this message now. Would you communicate to each one what you want them to pick up out of this message that we can all walk out of here and be further obedient to you and grow within love and freedom in our relationships? Asking in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so the first thing that we're going to hone in on is about how boundaries are about addressing behavior and not feelings. And so the, the initial place we need to begin with that is we need to realize that actually feelings are important They're, and they need to be validated. They really do matter within human experience. Uh, I remember when my daughter was first born. Many of you will know the story. She was born three months early. She was one pound, 13 ounces. And so that experience was quite stressful for us. We were then at the hospital for three months. And so it was stressful. It was tiring. And uh, there were some days that were worse than others. And I remember one Saturday night when I got a phone call that said, you know, Ray, you better, you better get into the city. You better head over to health science because she's taking a dip and we don't, know, we don't know if she'll recover. We don't know if she's going to live or die. So went into the city, and it was right around that time that my parents were out visiting. And so I was sitting in the cafeteria at Health Science, and, uh, and I was sad. I was just sad. And my mom, God rest her soul, she, she wanted me to be able to see the silver lining. She wanted, because she wanted to encourage me, right? So she was saying things like, Ray, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's good that her heart's still beating, right? Like, she's still alive. She's still with us. That's good, right? And it's, I mean, it's so good that you have a wonderful church family here in Manitoba that can help you as you walk through all this stuff. That's so good, right? And it's so great, actually, that this all happened at the Health Science Hospital because then you guys can actually be staying at Ronald McDonald House. It's nice and close. And so that's, that's good, Right? And I had to stop her, and I said, Mom, like, can you just let me be sad? Can, can I just be sad? Would that be okay? And she totally got it, and she apologized. She came, just gave me a hug, and that was really what I needed. I, I didn't need her to try and change my feelings, whether it was because she just didn't like seeing me sad or because my feelings made her uncomfortable, I just needed her to enter into where I was at in my feelings in that moment. I needed empathy. I didn't need a pep talk, right? But I mean, isn't that, isn't that so often what we're like? We're so, we, we, we want to fix. We're fixers. We want to fix things. We want to make it better. And so it's so easy for us to try and jump in and do that. But, we, and, and we want to make people happy. And if we're honest, we also have to acknowledge that other people's pain makes us uncomfortable. People's painful emotions, if they're sad or they're angry, that's uncomfortable for us. 
And what we have to realize and acknowledge, first of all, is that who actually gave us emotions? God. Who actually gave us emotions? Wow, first time. Really, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. God. They're, they're an important part of who he has made us as humans. And so if they're a, an important part of who gave us those emotions, then we need to take ownership for our feelings about other people's feelings. So if someone is feeling angry or sad, whatever, and we feel uncomfortable, we need to realize that we're feeling uncomfortable. That's about us. That's not about them. Okay, so let's, let's talk about the application of that when it comes to parenting. My wife and I are going away to Minneapolis a little later on this month, uh, just the two of us. And when we told our daughter, Violet, about that, she was very sad. And I mean, Violet, Violet is very whatever she is at that moment. So her, her emotions knob is right up cranked. So in this situation, she was very sad. And, uh, and so we actually had to stop ourselves from launching into a sermon as to why she should be happy for her parents to get away for a couple of days. And we, we actually started communicating that, and then we stopped ourselves and said, you know, Violet, it's okay that you're sad. It's okay that you're sad. It's okay that you're disappointed. You know what? If, if you and Isaac went on a trip and you didn't take mommy and daddy, we would probably be sad too. <laughs> That may have been somewhat true, <laughs> mostly maybe, <laughs> but it was empathetic. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> uh, but the, the point was we, we validated her feelings, right? Because what, what we wanted to do was jump in right away and change how she felt. Our decision to go to Minneapolis, just the two of us, that was on our yard. That was our choices. Now, her feeling disappointed and sad, that was on her yard. Now, when we saw her feeling sad, we then felt guilty, right? So instead of just realizing, oh, I feel guilty, she's, but that's okay, we wanted to change how she felt. We wanted to come over here and say, no, don't be that. Be happy. Happy's easier for me. <laughs> so we have to be really careful in our parenting that we're not trying to control emotions. All right, here's another example. My son Isaac is six, and he asked me a couple weeks ago, he said, Daddy, do I have to like church? <laughs> of course, I'm thinking, of course you have to like church. I'm a pastor. <laughs> but I didn't say that. <laughs> I know, yay. So I, I but uh, there was this immediate <gasps> gasp inside, but I didn't react out of that. And I just said to him, you know, Isaac, no, you don't have to like church. Because really, can I make him like church? No. Can any of us make anyone like anything ever? No. So I acknowledged that. I was very proud of myself. And uh, said, no, honey, you don't have to like church. But why don't you tell me why you're asking me the question? What's, is there something going on at church right now that you don't like? And so instead of jumping down his throat right away out of my own fear and insecurities, which are on my yard, I actually entered into his feelings. I entered into relationship with my son based on 
his feelings. So again, there was empathy, and we were able to meet then in that place. We want these questions to come to us as parents. The last thing that we want is for our kids to hide all their feelings, right? That will backfire on us at some point, likely adolescence, but it'll backfire at some point. Our job as parents is to teach our kids how to be responsible for what's on their yard. And emotions are one of those things. If we simply teach them that their emotions are, uh, are unacceptable to mom and dad, if they need to just stuff them down, then really what we're teaching them is that their emotions are unacceptable to mom and dad. And they can't come and share those with us because now that's not okay. Or we can actually teach them to stuff down their emotions because they're unacceptable to Jesus. And in that, we train them, we teach them to actually keep their emotions in and not take them to Jesus. That is not where we want to be because it is only Jesus that can give them the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Isaiah 61.3. See, Scripture counsels us to take our troubled emotions to Christ. 1 Peter 5.7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Scripture teaches us to take these negative emotions that we have and to do something with them, to, in fact, take them to Jesus, and as we trade them in, he will give us something different in return. He actually will trade those things for much, much better things. But he doesn't just say, don't feel that. That's inconvenient to me. He says, bring that to me, and I will trade that back to you for something much better. So as parents, we need to train our kids to do that. So the key then is to set boundaries on behavior, on acceptable behavior, and to teach them then to steward their emotions. Remember, their feelings are on their yard, yet as a parent, you're responsible to train them how to take good care of their yard. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So, here's an example then of setting a boundary on behavior, not on feelings. Let's say your kids don't like the supper that has been put before them. Okay, what happens? Do they have to like it? Well, no. You can't make them like anything. They don't have to like it. In, uh, in our home, if, uh, if they don't like something, then they can communicate it respectfully and once. And typically my response then is, oh, that's totally okay. You don't have to like it. You just have to eat it. <laughs> so that's, that's how we roll at our house. <laughs> but in that, I'm still respecting how they feel. They don't have to like it. I'm not telling them they have to like it. If I were to say, well, you're going to eat it and you're going to like it. Well, that's putting the kid in an impossible situation. Because now, now what are they supposed to do? They either have to choose to be honest about liking it and disobedient about eating it or obedient about eating it and dishonest about liking it. That's a lose-lose situation. That's a bad deal. They need to be able to be honest with their feelings. Ah, but if they are rude or disrespectful in their behavior, in the way that they communicate their feelings then you have the opportunity to set a boundary. So, oh, mommy, this is the yuckiest food you've ever made. Oh, no. It is time for a boundary. 
<laughs> so in that situation, I would tend to jump in fairly quickly and uh, say, you know what, that, that was actually really rude. Uh, you need to apologize to your mother for saying that. Uh, Sorry, Mom. Okay, and now why don't you try that again in a respectful manner? Why don't you try to say that respectfully? And they try that. Okay, thank you. Good, that's very good. Now, we know what you think, and we don't need to hear it again. All right? So, you, I know you don't like it, and that's okay, but you still need to eat it because there's nutrition in there that will sustain you until your next meal. And now, if you were to say another negative thing about this meal, then you would need to go to your room and finish it there and not get any dessert because that would be really rude to mommy, right? Like she worked hard to get this meal in front of you, right? Okay, okay, good. So they're allowed to feel what they feel, but you're setting a boundary on their behavior and training them how to manage their feelings and actually how to communicate them in a respectful way. So, trying to deal with temper tantrums, don't try to stop your kids from getting angry. That's not on your yard. Their anger is on their yard. And it's not a boundary that you can enforce because of that. Look at how God addresses anger. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So, be angry. That's the emotion. And do not sin. That's the behavior. So scripture counsels us to handle our anger responsibly. It doesn't tell us to not be angry. It tells us to avoid sinning in our anger in this passage. So teach your kids how to deal with their anger in an appropriate way. A few weeks ago, my, uh, my kids both came running upstairs, and, and it was, again, very dramatic. Isaac hit me! I know, okay, okay, that's, and there's, there's lots of excitement about it. And Isaac, when, when Isaac gets upset, uh, he's not as expressive as Violet, so it sort of bottles up in here, and then it just like squeezes out every pore. So he, when he gets really frustrated, he sort of snorts like a bull. So this, this big deal, right? And, uh, <laughs> whoa. That could have been awkward on video. <laughs> Close call. So I, I talked to him and I said, okay, Isaac, I, I've heard Violet's story now. Now, what's your story? And so he said, I, I, and as soon as he goes to talk, then there's tears because it's just too much emotion all at once. And so he said, she, she won't give me that toy and she's had it all morning and I haven't had it once. And so he's just very distraught and I say, okay, Isaac, honey, come here. Let me give you a hug, bud. Okay. Now, I totally get feeling frustrated when you don't get what you want. I totally get that. Sometimes I feel frustrated when I don't get the things that I want to. I can totally relate. So, but buddy, what's not okay is then taking that anger and then hitting someone. That's not okay. You have to deal with that in a different way. So what do you think you need to say to your sister? Sorry, Violet. Yeah, good. Okay, and now, honey, if that were to happen again, then you would need to spend half an hour in your room by yourself because kids that hit other kids are alone a lot because <laughs> other kids don't want to hang out with them because they get hit. So, so if you hit again, you'll need to go to your room for a while and be by yourself. <laughs> so 
and maybe your, maybe your kids are older than the illustrations that I'm giving. My kids are only that old, so those are the illustrations that I've got. But uh, perhaps your kids are a little bit older, and here's an illustration for you from someone that has lived this. All right, uh, Grace Hebert is our seniors pastor, and she has two kids, Tyler and Tori. They're both adults now. And uh, so when Tori was a little bit younger, right around the age when she could get a job, then uh, Grace had that conversation with her, encouraged her to go and get a job because uh, she wanted her to learn the value of hard work. She wanted her to be able to learn uh, managing money, learning to tithe and save and all that kind of good stuff. So she talked with Tori about that, and Tori was not quite as into it as Grace was, because let's face it, the gravy train was working for her, (laughs) right? Why go and make my money when I've got your money, mom, and your car, and so, so she was mad. She was angry about the whole situation, but Grace stuck to her guns, and she still loved Tori, she still reached out to Tori, Uh, and still interacted with her lots, but she held to the boundary that indeed she was not just going to be buying her whatever she wanted now. Now that needed to happen with her own money that she would make. So this is what we do. We try to enter into our kids' emotions, but we set limits on their behavior. So now how we set those limits, how we communicate those boundaries matters greatly. We need to institute loving and firm boundaries swiftly and consistently with our kids so that, and now the reason behind this is really important, so that they will feel the consequences of their behavior and not of our behavior as parents. So let's say that Isaac is being a big goof at the table and it's, it's not reasonable, like it's over the line. And so I say to him, Isaac, uh, you're going to need to pull it back a bit. Please stop being such a goof at the table, uh, or you're going to need to go to your room to finish your supper. Uh, and let's say that he doesn't. He keeps going on. I now have one of two choices. I can either follow through on the consequence that I committed to, like we talked about last week, or I can not. So let's follow the two different situations through. So first situation, I say, okay, Isaac, you're still being a goof. And so I told you that if you would continue to do that, you would need to go to your room and finish your supper there. So please go to your room and finish your supper there. So he is now, it's very clear. I'm even in my tone. Away he goes off to his room. He is left to feel the consequences of his behavior. Now, take the other situation. I don't do that. And so he continues to goof off. And I say, Isaac, that's enough. Keeps going. Isaac, I warned you, you quit that. Keeps going. Isaac, this is the last time that you are getting this warning. The last time. Keeps going. That's it. That's it. I'm I'm done with you. Oh, okay, now you're going to stop. Okay, okay. And then finally, I lose it. I blow up. Isaac, Samuel, Ray Yoder, go to your room. You are a disrespectful, obnoxious little boy. (sighs) And my face is red, and it's all big and ugly. <laughs> so now, now Isaac leaves, and he feels the effect of what? Of my behavior. 
That's what he's feeling now. So in the first situation, Isaac leaves and his behavior speaks the loudest and his suffering is the fruit of his behavior. In the second response, my behavior speaks the loudest and his suffering is fruit of my behavior. Now he's not sad because of his own behavior. He's hurt because of my behavior. Remember that hurt versus harm that we talked about last week? Well, consequences may hurt Isaac, but they will bring him no harm. In fact, they will help him mature into a responsible adult. But me losing it and in an angry rage on him, that very well may harm him. So we need to be careful in what we do, the way that we communicate these things to our kids. We need to have swift boundaries that are delivered in gentle, firm manners so that our kids can begin to internalize these boundaries with themselves as they progress toward adulthood. So, enough about kids. Let's talk about marriage. Marriage has got to be the most complex and challenging arena in which to establish healthy boundaries because this is a relationship that's defined as two becoming one, right? Yet, if we want true oneness within marriage, then we have to be able to still recognize two separate entities. Just like there is water, and water is actually the composite of two elements, hydrogen and oxygen, so the same is true within marriage. So let's look at some examples. Let's say Lois is a wife that loves to shop. Loves to shop, which is all fine. Nothing wrong with shopping. But Lois loves to shop even when there's no money to shop with. So she's got her credit card and she's got her debit card, happily drives them into overdraft, no problem. And uh, so this, this is the issue. Now, what happens is as she continues to spend, her husband, Bob, who is the one who is managing the finances, based on a conversation where they decided he should do that because he's better at it, all right? So he's the one that's doing it. He's getting perpetually frustrated seeing the credit card bills come in that can't be paid out of available cash. He feels like he's tried everything. He's taken on extra jobs to try and pay down some of her spending. He's talked with her about reining in her spending. And when he does, she gets mad at him. So he is getting tired and resentful. Now, there's that word resentful. That should be a little boundaries alarm that's going off. So what belongs on whose yard? Let's sort it out. Wanting new things. That's on her yard. Those are her wants. And her anger, when she's asked to control her spending, that's her anger. That belongs on her yard. His balancing the budget, because they've decided that together, that is his responsibility within the marriage. He is responsible to balance that budget. And he is also responsible for the growing resentment within his heart that's going on. So, Bob needs to realize that his growing resentment is only going to hurt himself and his wife and their marriage. The relationship is not going to be better off for this resentment, and he also needs to take responsibility for the budget because that is on his yard. So then, he should gently, lovingly, and firmly communicate to Lois that she may no longer have credit cards or debit cards, cash only, that he'll give her at the beginning of the month, and when it's gone, it's gone. He may then free her to take ownership for the gap between their finances and her wants. She can then take ownership of that, and if that means 
that she has to taper back her wants, then that's fine. If it means she wants to seek further employment, that's fine. But that's on her yard because those are her wants. And then also to deal with her anger. That's hers to resolve. See, consequences are necessary and they're beneficial in marriage. If there's ever a place where we tend to think that boundaries are selfish, it will be in marriage. But marriage is the most important human relationship that we have. It's the most intimate relationship. And so we need healthy boundaries within it the most of any relationship that we've got. Because remember what boundaries are about. Boundaries are all about love and freedom. That's the point. That's the purpose. And out of any relationship, I am certain that marriage is the one that we want love and freedom the most. So if that's the case, then we need to pay the price of freedom and actually have some healthy boundaries within our marriages. Let's say Jan never negotiates her time wisely. And as a result, she and Tim are chronically late for things. Drives Tim nuts. And he's expressed his frustration on numerous occasions before. Don't worry, wives. I'm getting to the guys right after this. Uh, <laughs> but it would be totally reasonable, totally reasonable for him to let her know at the beginning of the day, you know, they're sitting down for breakfast, say, okay, the banquet tonight is at 6.30. In order for us to get there on time, we're going to need to leave the house at 6.15. If you're not ready by 6.15, I'm leaving without you. <laughs> oh, yeah. There will be a price to pay <laughs> for him. <laughs> but that is exactly what he should then do. As 6.15 rolls around and she's still finishing her mascara and she's not dressed yet, he should get in the vehicle, say, I love you very much, dear. See you later and go to the banquet. <laughs> now that's going to cost him something when he comes home that night, isn't it? But what is it going to cost him? It's going to cost him her anger. Whose yard is her anger on? It's on hers. And when she's angry and she says, how can you leave without me? He should respond and say, it was your lateness that made you miss the banquet. I didn't like going without you. I don't like being places without you. I love you. You're my wife, but I did not want to miss this. And because you were late, you missed it. And after that happens a few times, <laughs> then he will have girded himself up with strength. <laughs> but she will hopefully learn that indeed, he's not just an extension of her desires and that she actually needs to take ownership for her lateness. So, there's a, there's a biblical principle in here, but this is, it, this is not, before we get to that, this is not manipulative, okay? As you may be thinking or feeling right now, this is not manipulative. This is actually a biblical principle of sowing and reaping. And so what we want to do is we want to allow that biblical principle of sowing and reaping to hold true in someone's life instead of the other spouse interrupting it, protecting the other spouse from it, or cushioning its impact on the offending spouse. Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. 
For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Irresponsible behavior should reap consequences for the irresponsible party. So we need to stop reaping what someone else is sowing. Otherwise, we find ourselves frustrated and resentful in our marriages, and that will kill a relationship. Because what happens? You withdraw, you check out, you start backing off. So this is another example of how little no's preserve love and actually prevent an explosive big no later. Otherwise, what often happens is you end up unintentionally just storing up all those little no's in your heart until they've accumulated large enough for you to give your big no. And that might happen many years down the road. But in marriage, tragically, some of those big no's look like divorce or an affair or some other devastating blow. I sat with a woman years ago who was in a really difficult marriage. It was a difficult marriage. Her husband uh, had addictions and had bad character. And it, it was hard. And I had compassion for her because it was a difficult situation that she was in. But by the time that she came and sat down with me, she said, you know what? I have given and given and given and given, and I have nothing left to give. I am done. I'm serving him with papers. We're getting a divorce. I'm just done. And I, I spoke to her. I, I pleaded with her to reconsider her plan because while he had been choosing his own selfish behavior, which he had, his behavior was not her fault. That was his dumb choices. But while he was making his own selfish choices, she was enabling them through permissive behavior. Sure, she had nagged him, she had yelled at him, but she had never set a firm boundary with his behavior. Wouldn't you know it, the moment that she moves out, he decides he wants to turn, to turn his life around, and he does. But now it's too late. What might have happened if she would have removed herself from his behaviors in smaller measure earlier on? What if instead of compensating for his addiction by trying to take more and more responsibility onto herself and covering for him, what if she simply got out of the way and allowed him to, to suffer the consequences of his own irresponsible behavior? If she had said some smaller no's earlier in the marriage, like, I love you so much, I want to be with you, for my entire life, I'm not leaving you. I'm not divorcing you. But though I told you your drinking is an issue for me, you continue to drink, and I can't choose to stop for you. If it's that important to you, you can continue. But I won't continue to expose myself and the children to the angry man you are when you're drunk. I won't do it anymore. The next time that you drink, the kids and I will go and stay at my friend's house, and I don't know how long we'll be there. I really hope that you will choose us over the alcohol, but you have to make that decision. See, we can either take responsibility for our stuff now with little no's along the way, or we can wait for a big no to come down the road. We can do the challenging thing now out of love because we care. We care for the relationship. We care for that person. Or 
we'll find ourselves face to face with a much bigger challenge, and now all love is gone. Let's talk about husbands who are looking at porn. Wives, you need to stop reaping the shame and embarrassment that your porn-addicted husbands are sowing. You are not the ones committing an irresponsible act, and therefore, you should not be the ones reaping the consequence of the irresponsible party. So let's talk about what you can do about it. What is on your yard with this thing? First of all, your feelings are on your yard. You feel betrayed, you feel cheated, you feel fat, and you feel ugly. Those feelings are on your yard, and I'm very sorry. And if you want to see love grow in your marriage instead of recede, you can't just park there. Storing up bitterness and resentment is not biblically acceptable. Matthew 5, 21 and 22 says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So dealing with your feelings before God and in supportive community is a must because you will account for them before God one day. You will account for your emotions and the behavior that spills out of them. You also will be held to account for your forgiveness. Forgiveness is on your yard as well. Matthew 6, 14 says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. In addition to being disobedient, refusing to forgive is also just a prime example of poor boundaries because you're waiting for someone else to do something that you have no control over. So both your emotions, your forgiveness, those are on your yard. And you'll remember from last week that nagging is also not an effective option. Just like the angry, ineffective parent that we talked about, nagging causes you to present as the problem rather than your husband's irresponsible behavior. Now, sadly, this is where many Christian wives stop. They, they for sure get the first two of these things. They might get the third one as well, but then they stop there. And while these truths are critically important, they're incomplete as far as boundaries are concerned and also as far as working towards oneness within your marriage. Stopping with only these truths has left a lot of Christian women dwelling in unhappy marriages, feeling second rate, second best, second class. They feel trapped in their marriages, by their husbands and or by God. And they feel stuck in these marriages where they are not the exclusive other. So listen now. As the one experiencing the pain of the situation, you are the one who must act. Once you've taken ownership for your feelings and you've forgiven and you've soundly resolved not to nag, You should communicate your feelings to your husband honestly, and then you must set a boundary to remove yourself as the reaper of what he has been sowing. So I want to give you an illustration. I want to give you a powerful story from a couple within our church. Gives a great example of exactly this. We'll call them John and Sarah, and this is not 
a clever guise for another Yoder story. <laughs> okay, this is not Ray and Mary in this story. This is actually a different couple. <laughs> I've done that to you twice. I'll leave you alone now. Okay, so John and Sarah, this is a highly respectable couple from within our church. Uh, they're key volunteers. Uh, they serve in ministry. They're in cells. Their kids serve in ministry. They're a wonderful couple. We love them a ton here at this church. And John had gone into porn a couple times earlier, early on in their marriage. And with both situations, both circumstances, Sarah was mad as a hornet. And she laced into him and she told him all the different things that he needed to do in order to be set free from this thing so it could stop plaguing their relationship. So then after a period of time, they were watching a movie together. They were watching Fireproof. And at the end of the movie, she just felt like she should ask how it was going. Well, it wasn't going well. So he confessed that once again he had fallen into porn, and uh, this time she wasn't angry, she was just sad. And so they, uh, they talked and they decided to spend a week just praying about it and see where to go from here. After that, she just went to bed, she pulled the covers up over her head and she just cried. Over the course of a week, they both spent time in prayer about the situation, and she sought some wise counsel. And uh, the Lord showed her some things. He had showed her again a bunch of things that he needed to do. If he was going to be set free, these were things that he would need to do. But uh, the Lord also affirmed to her that she should not communicate those to him. It's not, she wasn't supposed to be the one that comes up with a checklist of how you get healed. That's on his yard. But she could pray about it. So that's what she did. She began praying about those specific things. And then the Lord gave her a boundary as well to communicate. So after that week, they sat down together and she said to him, if it were to happen again, he would need to leave the home and they would keep working on it separately. She wasn't threatening divorce. Don't hear that. She wasn't threatening divorce. She wanted to work through it and she was committed to him, but she was done with the behavior having a place in their relationship. How he stopped the behavior, that was up to him. That was on his yard, but the boundary was up to her. She wasn't yelling at him. She wasn't giving an ultimatum. She was just communicating what her limit was. The thing was, she loved her husband. She loved her husband a ton, and she knew as well that he felt trapped in this. He didn't want to be doing this either. He didn't want to see his wife in constant pain over this either. And so the Lord had spoke to him during that week and had given him a checklist of things to, uh, to do as well. And so he sought inner healing. He got accountability. He canceled their cable. He installed accountability software for their computer. He even changed the radio station that he was listening to. Well, you know what? Five years later, since that meeting, and he's been porn-free ever since. Ever since that conversation. She did the courageous thing and set a boundary, and she helped bring freedom to, the, to both of them. To both of them. It wasn't just for her. It brought freedom to him. He no longer had to be in this constant state of guilt because he was stuck in a behavior that he couldn't get out of on his own. He no longer had to just feel guilty over and over seeing his wife in pain for his own irresponsible behavior, and she was no longer trapped by it. She no longer had to be perpetually sad and angry because of his actions. 
She took ownership of what was on her yard. Now listen to me, this was fair, it was gracious, it was realistic, and it was kind. This was not harsh or unchristian in the least. In setting a boundary like this with an out-of-control spouse, you are in fact modeling the very love that God demonstrates for us. Our God is a God of fidelity and of jealousy. He is never all right with sharing our affections. Never. He never gets used to it. Listen to Exodus 25. It says, You must not bow down to idols or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. This is one of God's boundaries with us. If we are unfaithful to him, it will cost us something. And the application is true in marriage. And you know what? It doesn't just benefit you. When I talked with John earlier this week and asked if I could use this illustration, I, I just asked him to reflect back on that and tell me what he thought about that whole thing. And he said, you know what? The boundary was enough of a wake-up call for me to stir me to action. So do you think that he would trade out that firm boundary that his wife set for him? Do you think that he would rather she was just nice to him and then allow him to stay in this addictive cycle that he was in and just allow her to drift away from him emotionally because she's so hurt all the time? No way, not a chance. Absolutely not. So I want to wrap up with saying this. As much as boundaries are about you and about your yard, by tending your responsibilities and by saying firm little no's along the way, by allowing irresponsible parties to reap what they sow and tending to your own responsibilities within that, you help others as well. The benefit is not just for you. Yes, you gain personal freedom to give and love out of a cheerful heart. This is a huge benefit. But you also set others free through sacrificial love. Sacrificial love is what we as Christians are to be known for. And sometimes the most loving, the most sacrificial thing that we can do is swallow our own insecurity and our own discomfort and say no to someone we love. So, with your kids, you know what you want for your kids. And if you just give them everything that they want, they'll grow up spoiled and rotten. And they'll eventually experience boundaries within their lives. It will just be a surprise to them. It'll, it will come at the hands of a spouse and a boss, maybe a church leader. Please don't love them so little that you always say yes to them. And you know, if you're in a marriage where your spouse's behavior is slowly killing the relationship, you're dying one day at a time, one act at a time, would you love your spouse enough to set a boundary, to say a little no now that might prevent a big explosive no later, 10, 20, 30 years from now? Would you love like that? Would you engage in a relationship that offers to set both parties free where just as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Proverbs 27, 17. Would you engage in love at that kind of a level? Because love, love is our highest calling as believers. And in order for love to grow, sometimes love says no. So here's your weekly challenge for this week. In your devotions this week, write down every time you see a boundary being set, 
Observe God's boundaries in action. Maybe you just underline it in your Bible. You put a little B beside it. But you will find that as you're going through, you'll start seeing this everywhere. This isn't just good psychology we're teaching you here. This is the Bible through and through. You'll see it everywhere. Secondly, where have you been trying to manipulate or control someone else's emotions instead of setting a boundary on their behavior? Repent and seek wisdom on how to change your approach. Third, where do you need to start communicating some little no's so that you can avoid a big no? Kids, marriage, where? And where do you need to stop reaping what another person is sowing? Your kids, your marriage, or other relationships? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. Thank you for relationships. Thank you for your love. God, I thank you that your love is not a weak, anemic, permissive love, but your love is strong. Thank you that your love says both yes and no. Thank you that you are not swayed, but that you move forward in love all the time. Oh God, give us wisdom. We need your wisdom to know how to navigate these waters. We need wisdom to know how to love in the way that you love and not in the way that the culture has told us to love. Give us wisdom, God, and bring restoration, bring wholeness within our relationships, within our marriages, our families, within our church, Lord Jesus, so that we can dwell within relational harmony and then we can put our energy and effort toward moving together in unity to that which you have called us, the mission and vision that you have in mind for us within our marriages, our families, within the body of Christ, what you want to accomplish through us so you are no longer experiencing a logjam of relational dysfunction within your church, but that you can actually speak to us clearly and we can move forward in power and might because of your spirit within us and because of the wholeness that we have allowed you to bring to our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.